down, Father God, and right now we lift it up to you, Rebecca, and she's going to Cuba, Father yes, God, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, with all of those uh, that they are going with her, God, I pray that they will be able to share the good news uh, in Cuba, Father God, I pray that you would strengthen them, I, we pray for provision, I pray for your hand of protection over their life, Father God, uh, and that they will be able to share with so many uh, in Cuba, Father God. So we thank you for that. We thank you so much for Brian, for Jennifer, for Joe, for Kijo, for Michael, for Megan, for Jimmy, for Peter and Molly, Mark and Kelly, Father God. I thank you for their life. I thank you for the desire to spread the gospel and I pray for provision for them, Father God. I pray that you will continue to strengthen them uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually, Father God, and that they will continue to advance your kingdom, Father God. So we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And we pray for this uh, minister, Father, for this church, Father God, for TFF, Father God, I pray that you will continue to add to our fellowship, Father God, to those who have been saved, Father God, I pray that we will be faithful uh, to you first and foremost, Father God, and that we will continue to, to work with you, Father God, and to be the people that you have called us to be, Father God. Lord, and as, as we come together this morning, Father God, to honor you, to worship you in a spirit and truth, Father God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will uh, speak to us this morning, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, search our heart, Holy Spirit, and see that if there's any wicked way within us, Father God, and that we, you would expose the full of deep of darkness, if there's anything in us that is not belong to you, Father God, that we will lay it down at the, at the feet of the cross, Father God, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much, Father God, that, that you are faithful, that you are holy, that you are for us and not against us, the great issue that is in us, the key that is in this world, Father God. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need to live a happy life, Father God. For us to thank you, Father God, that you might call us to be your people, your ambassador, uh, for such a time as this, Father God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will continue to advance your kingdom, that we will continue to, to be faithful to you, Lord Jesus. So we thank you. We give this time to you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. And there is no what exactly we have to do during this day to worship you, to honor you, and everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
And Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your great love. Father, your word says there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And Father, Jesus, that's what you did for us. God, you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Your word declares that your love endures forever. We were never meant, we weren't meant for your wrath, Father. We were always meant for your love. Your word says that it's your desire that none shall perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So I pray, God, as we come together today and, Lord, we open your word, Father, that we would be reminded of that great love. That our, that our hope that is in Christ would never disappoint us or fade away. But, God, that we can be strengthened, Lord, that you are for us and not against us. That you have made a way and have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that you have engrafted us and adopted us into your family, and you have given us the right to call you Abba, Daddy. If we believe by faith and have a confession that Jesus is the Son of God and he rose from the dead, Father, we are children of God through Christ. And oh, how I pray that our identity, each and every single one of us, and God, if it isn't, then that today would be the day of salvation. The blind eyes would be open, that the deaf ears would hear, that the bondage of sin would be broken, and that a new life would come forth. Because your word declares that you must be born again, and born again of the Spirit of God. You begin this work in us, Father, and you are faithful to complete it. So let us not take for granted that we have gathered today, Lord, to to hear from you, to be led by your Holy Spirit. Father, we do not want to get in the way of what you want to do among us and in us and through us. So, Father, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Community. Two definitions I've been holding up. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. I would like for us to go to Romans 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. And I'm going to talk about community. When we think of the church, when we think of the body of Christ, when we think of the Christian fellowship, the Christian 
community. We, we understand, and as we've been talking, that Christ is the center. He is the head. We are the body. We are to function together according to His purpose and His design. We are to be a set-apart people. From the beginning, you've heard this over and over, God's purpose and God's plan is to have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. From the beginning. You can see it through the beginning of Genesis and all through the Bible, through Revelation, that He will have a people that belong to Him. And for all eternity. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. Community. It is vital. Again, we understand there's all these other different communities out there. They're everywhere. But one thing that they're lacking is truth. And yet, though, what they believe defines them. And that's a kingdom principle. That's why when the Bible says, in order for you to be a Christian, you have to have a belief and a confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He rose from the dead. You you believe by faith. And in that, the Bible says then you are saved, you are born again, because coming to that understanding, to that belief, to that confession, cannot come from yourself. The nature in which you were born in, remember, is a complete rebellion towards God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us in our natural state, we are in rebellion towards the holy God, a loving God. That's why the good news of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the best news for all mankind. Because all mankind are sinners. And so this good news of Jesus, the one who came, God's one and only Son, And his purpose was to take upon the wrath. He paid the penalty that was needed to free us from this rebellious nature in order for us to be made right with God. That's why I love Romans 5.1. Therefore now you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. Not through your works, not through your church attendance, Not through your tithing, not through all the scripture that you can know, not for how you pray, but through Christ. Through Christ and Christ alone. Your righteousness is through Christ. It's not through you. And so this Christian life is not a life that is a burden. It is a life that is liberating. It is a free life. We're no longer mastered by sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. Doesn't mean that you won't sin, but when you do sin, sin is not your master. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit because when you came to the saving knowledge of Christ, you were born again. You have received the Holy Spirit, God Himself in you, to accomplish what God has purposed for you. Even before the earth was formed, He knew you. He purposed you. He prepared good works for you to do in your generation that you're living in. You're not a mistake. 
You were purposed for today. As long as there is breath in your body, God has designed for you works to do for His kingdom. Because out there is darkness. And in God, in His kingdom, is nothing but light. And so He sends us forth to bear the light of Christ. To share the good news to these other communities that are out there. That are lost. They don't have truth. They have what they have and the deception that they live under, believing is true, but the reality, it's not. It keeps them enslaved. And I want you to think about that. From the beginning, all the way through until Jesus Jesus returns, in every generation, it's marked by rebellion. There's been rebellion (laughs) since the garden. And every generation, it just keeps growing. And it keeps getting more wicked. It keeps getting more dark. But the church, the Christian community, we don't bow down to it. We don't give in to it. No, we are to be the ones that are standing up for truth. That are being the hands and the feet of our Master, Jesus That we're going forth and we're learning how to serve and to love. Knowing that if they hate Him, they're going to hate us. But that doesn't stop us. Because we have the good news to share. We have the truth. And so as a community of believers, we come together to worship our God, to, to praise Him for all that He's done, to be encouraged and edified and built up among each other, to share the good news among each other, to pray for each other, to to serve one another, so that we're equipped to go out there for the days that we're out there among all these other communities to be strengthened and to walk upright in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. There is power in the gospel and the blood of Christ and in walking in the Spirit. The Bible tells us that we are to walk habitually, continually in the Spirit so that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We understand that from Galatians that the flesh and the Spirit, they are warring inside of us. But we must remember, and as I've said like a broken record, because the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The Bible doesn't say if the Son has set you free, you are still enslaved to bondage. No, you're free. Do we understand the concept of freedom? We must understand the concept of freedom in order to live in a way that announces the freedom that is found in Christ. We are a transformed life. We're not a perfect life. But we are a maturing one because we're not perfected until we're with Him. But until then, we are growing. We are to be hungering for the things of God. Learning of the things of God. Recognizing this sin nature that is in rebellion towards Him. But the Bible tells us to reckon ourselves dead. That we nailed that old nature 
to his cross. And we've crucified it there. And so the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. So when we sense that old nature, as a community, when we see the old nature trying to rise up, no, we're to be quick to say, no, wait a minute, that is not who we are because that is not who he is. There is a way in which we are called to live. And in every generation, righteousness is, is being raised up. But we also understand in every generation, those that hate and that are in rebellion towards the kingdom of God tries to keep righteousness down, <laughs> tries to have truth suppressed so that it can keep feasting off of the junk that it desires. I mean, think of when we're studying through the Old Testament. Israel, they were God's chosen people. God told them when he delivered them out of their bondage in Egypt, he told them, do not look at the other nations. Don't desire to worship the way they worship. Don't desire what they have. I am your God. I will provide for you. I will care for you. I will take care of you. In fact, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. But I am your God. You're to have no other God before me. You're to worship me. You're to honor me. That hasn't changed. But how did the Old Testament, how did the Israelites respond? As soon as they were delivered, they wished that they were back in Egypt. They kept looking back. They kept looking at the other nations around them saying, well, that seems more pleasant to me. Or why they don't have all these rules and laws. You know, and they, they started looking around. And so they started giving themselves over to the very things that God said, don't do. And so God ends up turning them over and says, okay, if you want that to be your God, then so be it. And just as he did then, he does today. He turns us over to the very things and the very desires that we want to lord over us. I mean, when you think about the churches in the New Testament, I mean, these, these disciples, these apostles, they went out in a world that was so anti-God. It was a religious system. It was a religious world. There were all of these religions. They had temples built to these false gods. They had temple prostitutes that would lay themselves on the steps of these temples to offer sex to anyone and everyone that would come by. This is the condition in which the Christian church in the beginning was living. Everything was out in the open. There was nothing hidden. There was all of this junk happening, and yet God sent forth his disciples, his apostles, into these cities to declare the good news to the freedom of God. And churches were coming forth. Communities were being birthed. Prostitutes were being delivered. These temple prostitutes were no longer. They, they gave their hearts to Jesus. They believed. 
Their lives begin to change. These religious men begin to be delivered and they gave their lives to Jesus. These sinners were being delivered and their lives were changing. And so the community, the believers of Christ began to form. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go forth and to turn the world upside down with truth. And as it was then, so it is today. So it will be until Christ returns. The Bible tells us that as we approach the days of Christ's return, and we don't know when, it could be a hundred years from now. It could be tomorrow. But the point is, as believers, like we're excited about that. We're not scared of it. We're excited. Because our, our world, our, I mean, our home is not in, of this world. We're just passing through. We were created for eternity with our King, with our God. We are His people. And this is how you should be preparing yourself daily. This is how you should be talking to yourself daily. And when the flesh wants to stir up within you, you remind it daily. Amen. No, I, am, I belong to God. God has delivered me. You're no longer in control. You may want to entice me, but I recognize what that is. And God makes a way out of every temptation. There's a way in which you ought to be living. Because you understand who He is, what He has accomplished, and who you are in Him. Oh, that you would know your God. That you would that you would have that you would rest in the confidence and the assurance that not only do you know your God, but you're known by your God. Like He knows you. He's for you. He's not against you. Don't keep turning from Him. Stop doing it your way. Stop giving in to your anger, to your jealousy, to your lust, to your backbiting, to stealing, to harboring ill feelings to others. Like, get over yourself and get into Christ and say, Who am I now? How am I to live? Because I believe, Jesus, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my body, with all of my strength, that you are the Son of God. You rose from the dead. And I want to love you with every ounce of me, Lord. Because that's how you love me. You gave yourself for me. For me. And so I wanted you to see Romans 1, because I've been in Romans this week, and I have had different conversations with people this week. And it's been one of those weeks where I've been so broken. Like if I could just go hide in a room, I probably would. And I, I probably would just want to sit there and just be like, oh God, what are we doing? And the people that I've talked with this week, they don't see themselves as unbelievers. They will tell you that they're believers. And yet, they are living lives far from being marked of Christ. And that breaks my heart. Break my, that breaks my heart. That there's people that are sitting in churches today 
coming to worship God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, coming to celebrate the resurrected Christ, the one who has set them free from sin and death, the one that offers hope to all humanity, and yet they don't know Him. Because they're still bound by sin. They're still bound by sin. And over the past couple weeks, I shared with you about Isaiah. When the prophet Isaiah had the vision of the throne room of God, remember, when he saw God for who God is, he's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah was like, oh, what's the phrase? I am doomed. Like, I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'm a sinful man. I am doomed. And then the angel, the seraphim, took the coal from the throne and came and touched his lips. And then he announces to Isaiah, your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed. And I said to you, right after that, God says, who can we send? And then all of a sudden, Isaiah was not doomed. Mm -hmm. He was cleansed. He was freed. Isaiah stands and says, here I am, Lord, send me. Because of what you did to my life, I am free. (laughs) I am forgiven. I am not your enemy. I am no longer doomed. Here I am. Send me. And for us, the blood of Christ, the power of the resurrected Christ, frees us, delivers us, cleanses us, washes us. We're no longer stained by sin. We are a freed people. See, you have to wake up each day. You have to go through each day knowing, if you're a Christian, that you are cleansed and that you are forgiven. That you are made whole. You're no longer that broken individual before Christ. No matter what your age is, if you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus... Your life begins to be transformed because He changes the way you think. And what keeps us enslaved to sin is our brokenness. But in Christ, we are whole. And it doesn't matter what our past was, what our families were like, what our desires were like, what took place to us. Or what happened has happened to us. No, we we don't think any longer upon that. We think upon Christ. Listen, I shouldn't be standing here sharing with you. And I've always told you we all have a past. So if my past continued to define me, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. But because the power of God, the love of God, draws us to Himself, 
He reveals to Himself to us. God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. So we can walk in the newness of life. And I've shared with you before, the problem in the church community today is we're not sharing. We're not, we're not, we're not telling others about Jesus because the reality is we really don't believe Him. We can have a form of religion. Oh, I'll go to church. It's a nice story. It's a nice feeling. It makes me feel good. But Christianity is not about feelings. Christianity is about Christ. The community of believers is about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I mean, this is the reality. I mean, I keep encouraging y'all to take, take thought of what you're doing throughout your week. How are you spending your time? What are you thinking upon? What's coming from your life? And you don't have to beat yourself up. If you're a Christian, you don't have to, you don't have to be like, oh, look, I'm a horrible Christian. No, if you see that it's nothing in you is good, get to Christ. God, I know you love me. God, you're revealing this to me. God, I no longer want it to be a part of me. Help me, Lord. Help me to die to myself, to reckon myself dead but alive in Christ. Because, Father, the more I know you, the more I'll live for you. So I don't want to keep being pulled back. No, help me to keep my eyes upon you, focused and fixed upon you. Because, God, you gave me the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said you had to go away so that he will come and that he would be my comforter, he would be my teacher, he would be my guide. God, I want to go forth and I want to share the love of God with everyone, God, that you give me the opportunity to share with. And then we think about Christian community, how we're coming together, Christian families, how the household should be honoring God, that we should be honoring God with devotions, with prayer time, not making it a religious structure for the youth, but allowing them to engage freely with Christ. And what does that look like? That we're equipping each other to stand in a desperate hour. In a desperate hour. Because again, the people that I was with and hearing and talking with, Like, sin to them, it's not a big deal. And you'll hear that a lot amongst the Christian community. Like, the Christian community is getting over to sin. And they're okay with it. And it ought not to be that way. Because sin leads to death. Sin, and that nature... Is what Christ went to the cross for, to defeat. So if we're actively participating in sin and we do not see it for what it is and what it causes, it causes us to be doomed. And we're not to turn 
from Christ. No, we're to cling to Christ. See, remember, temptation is not sin. He makes a way out of every temptation. But the Bible says, where does sin come from? From your desires that are from within. From that old nature that you are to have considered dead. So that's why you got a warfare. That's why you got to know what it's like to walk in the Spirit. It's not a strange thing. It's just a new life. It's just a new life. And now you're living in a culture in your generation, just like the church before us and the generations before us and the generations ahead of us. Like we're behind the enemy lines. We're living in a darkened world. Not everyone is going to celebrate Christ. Not everyone is going to celebrate that you are in a relationship, that you are in the community of faith, of believers. In fact, you could be persecuted. Until Christ returns, Christians are going to be pushed out of this world. The world doesn't want us among them. We irritate them. The religious do not want us among them. We irritate them. And again, that, oh, that should open your eyes to the spiritual concept, the spiritual war that the Bible talks about. And I've said it repeatedly. It doesn't make sense that a community would want to rid itself of Christians. Because Christians are to be the hardest workers. They're to be honest. They're to serve. They're to love. They, they contribute to building up and providing. But governments, even today in our generation, wants Christians out of their nations. And for what reason? Because of Jesus. That's what these governments, that's what other communities would say to Christians. If you would stop living for Jesus, we would accept you. How is that? That's what they tell them. If you would stop living for Jesus, we will accept you. They hate Jesus. (laughs) And for for what grounds? Because they're blinded by the enemy. See, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. See, other communities, we don't hate them. We shouldn't despise them and talk bad about them. We don't hate them. We love them. Christ loves them. We have a desire to tell them about Jesus. If they don't want Jesus, we can respect that. But we've got to learn how to live, you all, as Christians. We don't have to go changing the message so that we are accepted in the world. Because we would never be accepted in this world. Because Christ wasn't. He was never purposed to be accepted. 
Remember, the cross was purpose before God spoke the earth into an existence. The cross was purpose. Love was to be displayed. Love was to be displayed to all creation. And so I wanted you to hear, if you have never heard, I wanted you to hear Romans 1. And I've said before, if you really want to understand how how you're to be living now, what's the Christian life? Read Acts through Jude. Especially the letters to the churches. And basically it's the same concept. Grow up. Mature. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Be discipled. Be encouraged. Live in community. You're going to be hated. Be strengthened by the power of God. Don't give in to temptation. Don't give up. Work hard. This is the character now and how you should be living. Be a person of integrity. What you do on the outside, make sure you're doing behind closed doors. Don't be a religious person. Be a person in relationship with the living God. There's a way in which we're called to live. And we should be excited to live this way. Because we've been freed. You don't go throw your freedom away to get yoked back up in bondage. We're not going to be like the Israelites. They were delivered from Egypt. They were beaten. They were slaves. They had a rough life. And yet when God delivered them, and then He was working in and through them to strengthen them, they didn't like that. Make it easy for us, God. What did you bring us out here to die? We had it better in Egypt. What? See, you better realize your flesh will love nothing more than to see you in bondage. That's that rebellious nature. But it's not talked about a lot. I wish someone would have told me as a kid what the flesh is. Remember, the flesh, sin, only knows one thing. It's to die. And so it leads you to death by wrong thoughts, by wrong attitudes, by wrong choices. It leads you downward. But it's the spirit when you are revived, when when you are made alive through Christ, and now you receive the Holy Spirit, you're born again, you desire to live. You desire to live. I'm not going to keep thinking these thoughts because I know where it's going to lead me. God, forgive me. Holy Spirit, teach me. I need to be a part of fellowship with you and fellowship with others who are like-minded. That want to live for God. That want to love God. That want to worship God. That want to to announce His, His, His gospel, His freedom to the captives. And so listen to how Paul writes to the church of Rome. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. I love this. Chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. And you can say, well, that's Paul. Well, that's also you if you're a Christian. 
God is not a respecter of person. God calls us out to send us out. We are to represent him, to preach the good news. God promised, listen to this, this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. See, that's, that's what we have to share. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he, speaking of Jesus, was shown to be the son of God. When he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Christ Jesus our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us, listen to this, the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere that God, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among these Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people. May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith in Him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all of my heart, by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want, it to, be, want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have been seen, just as I've seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to, to, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news, this good news tells us, oh Lord, hear this, how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life, you all. And then he goes right into transition about sin. Because again, he knows where these people have lived before they came to Christ. He knows what they were doing. He knows how they were living. He's reminding them, listen, you're a new creation now. You are the people of God now. You are God's holy people set apart for God's purpose. To go forth to tell the good news, then the good news, what is the good news? Jesus. 
And so he goes right in and he says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. Listen to this, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When sin is dominating your life, you are suppressing the truth of God. It doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you go to church. If sin is what the nature that is dominating you, you are suppressing truth. They know, and listen to this, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. And listen to this. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think of foolish ideals of what God was like. And as a result, listen to this. These are people who know there's a God, but they refuse to worship him. They are mastered and dominated by their sinful nature. And I told you all, oh Lord, because I remember the days when I lived apart from God. I still wanted to be ruled by a God. (laughs) So I I sought out these idols. I sought out what I desired, what I wanted, that I could be comfortable with. (laughs) And that's what all of us do, because every human being, all of us, yet though we are born in sin, apart from God, in rebellion towards Him, there is still a desire to be connected to a higher power, to something or someone greater than us, to a creator or one that would take care of us. And if we're not born again, all we have is what the enemy gives us. And I've said to you all, you want to study religion? You want to go look at all these religions out there in the world? Understand this. They all have one thing in common. They all have some elements of truth from Holy Scripture that's been twisted by the enemy (laughs) that keeps man enslaved to sin. That's why I've always told you, if you hear a gospel being preached that gives you the right to yourself... Run from it. It's not the gospel. There's no good thing in and of yourself. You are wicked. You suppress the truth. You are in rebellion to a holy God. And if you're living out of that nature, that is how you're living. And Paul is exposing it. He says they knew about God. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him. They wouldn't see him as the holy God. And they wouldn't even give him thanks. And they begin to think of foolish ideals of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere man. 
and birds and peoples, I'm sorry, and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. And I want you to underhear that. Don't miss that. God abandoned them. He turns them over. And you said, but Rob, you preached on this a while ago. Well, we need to hear it again because I'm not sure if we really grasped it. I'm not sure if we're really out there sharing truth with people. And before you can share it with them, are you sharing it with yourself? Like God abandons people who are living according to their flesh. You want that? Here, have it. From the beginning to the end, that's, that's what he's done. He is pleased to reveal himself to the creation. But if the created says, no, you're not the creator, we are. Here, have your way, have your feel. And he abandons them. That's a sign of judgment. We don't have to wait for the earth to split and all the signs to begin judgment. No, judgment has already started from the beginning until the end days. The judgment of God, God abandoning the people. And you say, well, that, why would a loving God do that? Why wouldn't he? See, we got to stop pointing at God. The loving God has revealed himself, but the creation has said, no, no, you're not God. No, we won't worship you. No, 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 we will not live for you. We will live for ourselves. So he turns them over. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And I've told you that before. Whenever you see the judgment of God, whenever you see the turning away from God and the worship of the occult, the worship of of man, the worship of religious institutions, and they can slap Jesus' name on it. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of false Jesuses out there. But when it happens, as soon as you give yourself over to a false religion, perversion. Think about the Israelites. Remember, they were delivered. A huge celebration. God parted the seas. They walked across it. They begin to praise God. Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days, and the people begin to grumble. And so they turn to the priest Aaron and tell Aaron, build us an idol. Moses is gone. So Aaron, instead of standing for truth, he turns and gives the people what they wanted, and they created the bull. This image. And do you realize what they said? This is the God that led us out of Egypt. What? And as soon as they began to worship, what happened? An orgy started. They're drunk. They're having sex. It's just a big old hoopla. And remember, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and goes, It's no different. 
It exposes the nature of man apart from God. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same condition. It's rebellion. And look, as soon as they turn from worshiping God, as soon as they're like, nope, you're not God. We don't want you on your terms. We'll create you how we want you to be. As a result, they did vile and disgrading things with each other's bodies. They traded, oh Jesus, truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. The created then turns to the created to find hope. But everything that's created, everything of this temporal world, doesn't last. And sometimes when I read this, I go, oh God, the years, God, Jesus, forgive me, for the years that I lived this way. And then again we hear, that is why God abandoned them to their own shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result as this sin of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish To acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should have never been done. Their lives became full of every wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires, listen to this, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And you would think that's where Paul would just leave it. Oh, but he's not finished. Because he's writing to the church. He's explaining the natural tendency of the sinful nature. And then he goes right in. Remember, this is the letter. He says to the church, you may think you can condemn such people. You may think you can point your fingers at those people who are living this way and condemn them. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, You are condemning yourself. For if you who judge others do these very same things, and we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things, 
since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things, church? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended? Oh God, let us hear this today. Can't you see that his, his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? He goes right in. These aren't, these aren't his words. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen. And we are living in a generation where churches are told, disregard the writings of Paul. This is true. Churches who have a cross on their buildings, who, who say they preach the gospel, they are telling people now, don't listen to Paul. Are we serious? And those churches are packed, full of people, because it sounds pleasing to the ear. God help us, you all. That's why you got to get rooted. That's why you got to know you've been born again. You got to know the nature of God and what He has done in your life. So you're not continuing to yoke yourself to what's behind you. Continue to give in. Well, what kind of life am I going to live? I've got to give up everything? Listen, if that is how you're feeling, you really haven't understood the grace of God and the love of God. Because when you understand truly the grace of God and the love of God, you freely give it up. Ah, I don't want it. With that, I'm doomed. Why would I want to stay in the condition of being doomed when God has freely cleansed me and forgiven me? I am a free man. Come at me always you want, Satan. Rise up always you want, flesh. But I'm going to remind you when you do who he is and how great he is and how I've been delivered. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And Paul is reminding these people, you have to remember this church, it's made up of the most filthiest people in and of themselves. They were once temple prostitutes. They were once lesbians and homosexuals. The church of Rome, back then. They were once religious people. They were once gamblers and swindlers, drunkards, vile, backstabbers, gossipers. That's how they once lived. And he's reminding them, why do you think you're safe now because you're sitting in church and you're pointing your finger at them out there when you're doing the very same thing? Why do you think you're safe? He's reminding them, you do the very same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn, he's continuing with the church, and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up a terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good, keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger on and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. But, oh, praise the Lord, there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For God does not show favoritism. This is the beauty of it. This is the beauty of it. This is the gospel, you all. And so when we're among the community of believers, there is a standard that is there because God has set it. And we need to remind each other of that. And that's why I always get, I'm like, it's so funny when people take scripture and and, and twist it for their benefit. Don't judge me. Scripture says don't judge me. No, no. Scripture says don't judge the world. We're to hold the standard of judgment among each other. Because we care for each other. Like sister, brother, that's not how you're to be living. Like I'm concerned that you, you have a, a sense that you're a Christian and yet you're comfortable with this type of lifestyle. Like I love you enough to tell you what scripture tells us. You're storing up punishment for yourself. Well, I said a prayer. Well, what does that have to do with anything? You're living like one who doesn't believe. A transformed life. Did you hear? He's telling the church. And so many times when people go to Romans, Romans and begin to preach or to share, they, they, they attack the world. See? Look how wicked the people are. Well, they miss the fact the whole point of why Paul addressed it was to get to chapter 2 to address what's going on in the church. We already know what the world is like. But he wanted to get to the condition of what's happening in the church. And yet we see at the opening, he says, I long to be among you. Like your faith. People are talking about your faith. Like there's great works that are happening among you, but there is still a problem. Some of you are still clinging to what's behind you. And you need to stop it. And if you don't, do you understand What is being stored up for you? You think you're marching in, but in reality, you're going to stand before him and he's going to say, I don't know you. Actually, we have to love each other enough, you all, to be in community with each other, to encourage each other, keep going, keep going on, keep going on. Well, I stumbled. I I fell into sin this week. Get up. Repent. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Then repent. Recognize that that nature and say, God, I am sorry. Help me. Get up and move on. And and, and, and let your repentance be what repentance should be. A sincere regret and remorse. I see myself doomed. But oh, praise be to God. I don't have to stay down. 
God, through Christ, you have delivered me. Through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, I can get up. And I don't have to let this sin, this failure, define me. I don't have to keep bound by shame and guilt. No, God, do it in me. (laughs) That I may walk free. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And yet though I'm in Christ, I know that my flesh and the Spirit are at war against each other. But I will not give the enemy a foothold. There's a way you ought to be living, you all. And we can celebrate Christ together. And we can walk this out together because we all recognize we are all come from that fallen nature. And so I've always told you, there's nothing that you need to hide. There's nothing that you need to keep to yourself. Well, I have my secret struggle. And if Norma finds out, then what is she going to think of me? Oh, if Gilda finds out, what's going to happen? You're worried about the created. You need to be more concerned about your creator. He wants you to expose it so that you can be free. And that's why you want to find a church community that understands Like, listen, we're not going to hold you down and beat you up because you fell. No, get up. Get up. And each day, pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. The next time you're sensing that temptation, pick up the phone and call. Get in your car and drive over. Sometimes you've got to be just as radical by faith as you are radical in the darkness. To give yourself over to the very things that you shouldn't be giving yourself over. You're doing things that are radical to get to it. And then want to paint a, a Christian picture, a, a Christian painting. Should have wore the mask today. You know, we put on these masks and we get around everyone, praise God. Hallelujah, oh, that was a good sermon, yes. Hallelujah. And yeah, oh, I'm fine, everything's good. And then people are going home doing the most God-forsaken things, letting their minds run wild through the through the week, giving themselves over, going to places that they ought not to be going. Well, I just need to fit in. With who? With who? We gotta start living, you all. We gotta start announcing the resurrected Christ, the Son of God, Jesus. And we've got to start trusting in Him, abiding in Him, remaining in Him, being strengthened each day. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. And you say, well, I don't know how. Then why haven't you called and asked to have time to sit with me or with another? To say, I want to get rooted. I want to live. I know God was pleased to reveal himself. I have responded. I'm trusting in Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God and he is rose from the dead. What are my next steps? Because I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live the rest of my life on this earth with the breath of my body for the glory of God. That's how we should be talking. That's how we're to be living. That's what the youth should be seeing. But we got a a generation of youth that are sitting in churches and they don't know the living God. They know a form of religion. They hear, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. 
And inside of them, they don't understand because they have no concept of seeing it lived out, what it is to overcome the flesh. (laughs) To live a transparent life. To honor God with their thoughts, with their minds, with their bodies, with their very being. They don't have a concept of what it is to value their soul. And the decisions that they're making are affecting not just only your temporalness, but your soul. Like, value your soul. Oh, church, there's work to do. And we ought to be excited about it. As we see it getting darker, oh, that it provoke us to live more righteously. To say yes to God. God, I want more of you. God, I am determined. Because you have given me the determination. It is not in and of myself. Because in and of myself, I would not be looking for you. I would be back there. So if you don't have a longing for the things of God, for, the, for growing in God, start there. Just be honest with God. God, you know my heart. I don't have a longing. Give that to me, Lord. Increase that desire and that hunger and that thirst for righteousness, for holiness, for worship. To see you as the mighty one, to know you as the mighty one. God, I need that. See, we don't have to hide from God. He knows us. It's when we come into an agreement with him that he moves. Because he gives you that desire. If those words ever come out of your mouth, or if you ever had that tug to like, come closer to God, that's not you, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And that's why you can go to him. Because he's beginning something. He's begun something in you. He will finish it. But you've got to get out of the way. You've got to get out of the way. you just got to be honest with him. Daddy, let me see you as holy. 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 Sometimes you just need to sit there for a season. God, I don't want to bless him. God, I don't want to heal him. God, I don't need you to move in any other way. I just need to see you as holy. I remember the first years of my life as a Christian. I just wanted to be pure. I asked God, God, I just just want to be pure. I lived as an unpure man. I gave myself over to so much filth. That's all I know, God. That's all I know. But God, you're giving me a desire that that just wants to be pure, that wants to be whole. What does it mean, God? What does it mean? He didn't shame me. He didn't beat me down. I knew that, God, you did something. But I know me, God. I know my old nature. And so, God, I've got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. So, God, just... Whatever you need to do. I just want to be pure. I just want to be pure. And what a process he began in me. And the war that was raging within me. See, your flesh isn't just going to power down. Why do you think it's important that we hear in Scripture they war against each other? And you just want to give up and live like a 
okay, I love Jesus, like a weird life, like like you don't understand the what has taken place in your life, like the spiritual, like transformation that is taking place. You just want okay, no, no, no. it is an all-out war, but it's a war that's already won. So it's not this weird, like, oh, I'm going to struggle the rest of my life. No, no, no. The Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. It doesn't say remain struggling with it. And it's about time that the church understands that and stop giving the people the right to struggle. No, I don't want to continue to struggle. Someone... God sends someone in my life that understands the spiritual wisdom when you say in your word, get up, throw off the sin that you're so easily entangled in and live for me. Like, come on. We've got to. We've got to. Because that's what the world needs. That's what the lost needs. They need to know that there's freedom. That there's freedom. People can look and say, why would I want what you have? You're a hot mess. I mean, there used to be people back in my days before Christ. Oh, you should come to Jesus. You're a sinner. God hates you. You're an abomination. Come to Jesus. Come to church with me. And they, they would be in bed with me the next hour. What kind of craziness? You're crazy. Who needs your God? You don't even know your God. I had more fear of God, of their God, than they did. I knew. Listen, with all the darkness and all the occult practices I did and praying against Christians and praying against churches, there were some where you come up against and you just go, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> There's a great light among them and around them. I'm not even touching them. I had a greater fear of the thing, the, the, the one I hated than the ones that said they were his ambassadors and yet given in to all wickedness that's out there. God help us. Oh, you should come to church with me, Rob. Oh, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. Jesus loves you. Lord, I kick in the bar doors and look who's sitting at the bar. And I would love to go up to him and say, where's your Jesus? <laughs> Is Jesus here with you now? I used to mock them, laugh at them. Oh, I'm just struggling. Oh, this faith walk is something else. <laughs> and I would say, then your God is no God at all. There's no power. There's no power. Now listen, I'm not making fun, if you would, or mocking people who are going through. But the reality is, it's your choice to stay there. Your sin is greater than your master. Your creator. And that's how the enemy comes in. To water down the gospel. To keep people enslaved. I told you, the first ministry, the ex-gay ministry, that everyone, you know, you should go there. And I said, oh, I'm finally going to be around people. 
Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I go in, and it was in a dark room. They were all sitting there with their heads down. I go in just excited in the fact that, wow, these are freed people. And I sit down, and the, the worship leader comes out to worship, and I stand up, and the guy pulls me down. He's like, oh, no, no, you don't move. You stay seated. And we don't, we're not allowed to look at each other lest it provokes temptation when we give in to lust. Well, what the heck? And they worshipped. And it was, the most, it was the most darkest place I've ever been. Like, what is this? Well, the speaker's about to come out and give us a, a life, a message of freedom. And I was like, okay, maybe, the, maybe it's going to transition to something testifying of God but no I had to hear how he had sex in all the bathrooms in the park and how he's just struggling with this and that and this and that and this and that and I finally got up sit down no I got to get out I left I remember going to the parking lot going God if that is my life and I said this to God God if that is my life oh no oh no that cannot be who you are and what you've called me to. And if it is, there's a problem. <laughs> there's a problem. And I determined that night to say, no, God, I want all of you. I don't make fun of them. I feel very sorry for them. And of course, years later, the ministry collapsed. And then they turned to promoting all this weird stuff. But you got to be careful. You got to be careful of what you're yoking yourself to under the name of Christianity. Because not everything that's out there is of Christ, even though they use his name. Not every community who slaps Jesus on them is a Christian community. And the Bible says you better be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. There is freedom in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. And again, I do not negate, I do not put aside that the people go through, and I'm not saying that you will never sin. I'm not preaching Christian perfectionism so we can just get that out. But the reality is, if the Bible says it, I want to believe it. I want to believe the whole counsel of the Word of God. Because God is not a liar. He's not man that he should lie. That's why 1 John writes, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, remember. Christians will sin, but the difference between a Christian and one who is in the world lost is they're not mastered by it. They get up from it. They repent. And they say, God... Continue this work that you're faithful to complete. I am the work of your hands, and you said that you would not neglect the work of your hands. This is the Christian community, you all. This is what, if you're a Christian, that you are brought into. And non-believers are, are welcome to come into the community so they can see what the community is like, what Christ is like, so they can hear the message and respond to it. They should see it lived out. 
wait, these people really believe what's being taught. They're not looking for a perfect church or everyone who's got their lives together. No, they ought to be looking and said, these people truly believe, even in their mistakes, even in their failures, even in their sin, there's something different about them. They believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. They believe that their bodies and the lives and minds and hearts and everything about them is being transformed for His glory. For His truth. That there's a wholeness about them. And God will quicken within them that desire to know God. And then they call upon the name of the Lord and they're saved. And then they're plugged in with a community that believes wholeheartedly that Jesus is the Redeemer of mankind. Go to 2 Kings. I'm not going to share the other ones I put in my notes. Romans 1 is where we're at with notes to encourage perseverance. As you go to 2 Kings chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, let me read to you the part of the Heidelberg Catechism, this teaching again, hoping to equip you to be able to defend the faith. So we're on question 62, Lord's Day 24. Question, why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of our righteousness? Well, the answer, because the righteousness which can pass God's judgment must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. But even our best works in this life are imperfect and stained by sin. Oh, that's why we need Christ, you all. That's why we need Jesus. 63, question 63. How can our good works be said to merit nothing when God promises them in this life and the next? Well, this reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. And question 64. But doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? No. It is impossible for those grafted into Christ through true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. See, your works does not bring about salvation. Salvation brings about works. And we have to understand that. Because there's a lot of lies out there. You have to work. You have to work. I don't want to work for it. I recognize I'm a sinful man. And that's too big of a burden to carry. I need one to take it away. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> that's the good news. Man, I, the celebration that you should be having. Wow. God, I can't, but you did through Christ. What I could never do, I can never measure up. I can never keep doing the right things. God, I need you. And it's through Christ and Christ alone. His perfect righteousness. He accomplished everything so that I, so that you could be in relationship with your creator, you all. Oh, man. Second Kings chapter 3. We're going to read through chapter 4, verse 
17. Elijah, we picked up last week, has already been taken up into heaven. Elisha has taken the, 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 the role of the prophet. He has received um, Elijah's anointing. So chapter 3 is where we're picking up. Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Again, this is Israel. These are the people that God has set aside for himself. These are the kings that should be God-fearing kings. But we just read here this new king. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. But nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and wool and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after King after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel, marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah, the king of Moab, has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, While of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, What route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them. And all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord. Now all of a sudden, this wicked king, now he's blaming God. <laughs> oh, Jesus help us. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of, of Judah asked, "There's, I'm sorry, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? Is there, is there, if there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officials replied, Elisha, son of Saphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, Judah, and Edmund went to consult with Elisha. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked to the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said, No, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. And Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you, except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, 
the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, This is what the Lord says. The dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord. But this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. For He will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all of their good land with stones. The next day, about and about at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and some and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword and then stationed themselves along the border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water making it appear red and the, to the Moabites like blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have started to attack each other and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed the towns, covered their good land with stones, stopped up all the springs, and cut down all the good trees. Finally, only Kirish and, and its stone walls were left, but men with slings surrounded it and attacked. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle, he led 700 of his swordsmen into a desperate attempt to break through the enemy's lines near the king, near the king of Adam, but, the, but they failed. Then the king of Moab took his oldest son, dear God, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. So there was a great so there was great anger against Israel, and the Israelites withdrew and returned to their own land. What an account we just read there. <laughs> this king, Joram, who was evil. The prophet even knew. Like, and Elisha said to him, what are you doing? Why are you coming to me? You go to your idols. And the only reason that Elisha even responded to these kings was because of King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Jehoshaphat has been the only king so far that we've heard to say, isn't there a prophet among us of the Lord? Let's inquire of him. Jehoshaphat knew. Jehoshaphat wasn't a 100% God-fearing king. He still allowed things in his life and in his kingdom that was not pleasing to God. But Elisha had enough respect for King Jehoshaphat said, the only reason why I will reply and seek the Lord on behalf for you is because of him. Oh, you need Christians in your lives, you all. You need people in your life that want to inquire of God instead of just going along with your schemes. Yet again, 
God through this battle, through the speaking, through the spoken word of his prophet of what the Lord was going to do, yet again was giving Joram and Israel another opportunity to know him as God. To know him as God. To witness his greatness. As he does in our lives every day, you all. And these people still wouldn't bow down to him. They still look elsewhere. Let's move on to chapter 4 to hear a little bit more about Elisha. One day, the, a, the widow of a member of a group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what, to, what do you have in, in the house. Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you and pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. God provided you all. Next, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, and a chair and a lamp. There, he, Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehaza, Tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak with her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehaza, Tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehesia, What can we do for her? And Gehesia replied, She doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha has said. Listen, you all, God, once again, is faithful. God is not going to announce something that he is not going to accomplish. 
He is a sovereign God. He is not man that he should lie. His yes is yes. And you can walk in that confidence. His yes is yes. And how do you know if it's his yes? Does his word back it up? Because a lot of times people will speak into your life. But you need to take it into the counsel, the whole counsel of God. And if it's here, the trust. And say, God, I'm standing firm. You are God. You are God. You're not man that you should lie. And you will provide. And you will honor your word. I mean, listen, y'all. That's just yet another reason to seek him, to praise him, to know him. But ultimately, to love him. Go to Acts chapter 14. Barnabas and Paul are preaching the word of God. They're going from town to town. Acts 14, verse 8. They're going into synagogues. (laughs) They're preaching the word. People are getting saved. They're also irritating religious men (laughs) that now are turning against the message of the gospel. And so we pick up in verse 8 of 14. And we're going to finish chapter 14. goes through verse 28. But verse 8. While they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came up to a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized, I love this, he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet (coughs) and started walking. Wow, what a miracle, you all. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening. They tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are only merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their ways. But he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Oh God, hear that verse. Yet though God turned the nations over, he never left them without evidence of who he is. Yet though God may turn us over, he will never leave us without evidence of who he is. Remember, it is his desire and his will that none should perish but all would come to the saving knowledge. For instance, he goes on, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. 
that some Jews arrived from Antioch and, and, and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. Now these Jews were these Pharisees, these religious men that were supposed to be teaching about God and yet they were keeping people far from God. They show up on the scene as the enemy always will when the gospel is being preached. And they began to win the crowds to their side. Don't listen to those men. Listen to us. And so what happens? Listen, these people were just worshiping Paul and Barnabas as gods. They just heard the good news. They saw this miraculous miracle. They responded in their ignorance for what they know. And they were having a huge celebration to worship these men who they thought were gods, but now these other men come in. You see how the spiritual realm works? These other Jewish men, these religious men, came in, start winning the crowds over, so they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. The man that they were just worshiping. Oh, can it not remind you of Jesus? Remember, he rode in on the donkey. Everyone's hoopla and worshiping. And then just days later, crucify him. Crucify him. Listen, not everyone is going to be excited that you love Jesus. They may, they may be excited a little if it benefits them. But once it doesn't benefit them, no. Shut up. They want to silence you. They don't want to hear from you. They call you names. You're the, you're the Jesus freak. You're the religious nut. Oh, they're holier than thou. Paul was stoned. So much to the point that they thought he was dead and they drug him. They dragged him out of the city. Oh, how the hearts of wicked men change quickly. They're on your side one minute, next minute they got you down and dragging you out. Oh, but verse 20. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, and I love this, See, Paul didn't get up and go, oh, they hated me, poor me. He didn't let what just happened to them define him. He knows who he is in God. Like he was left for dead. He gets up. And he goes back. And now he's moving on. <laughs> we got to be careful of our thoughts and what we allow in. Again, how does God transform us? By changing the way we think. Paul knew who God was and who he was in Christ. So him and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch where they strengthened the believers. And I even love that. Here Paul was just stoned to the point of death. He's not looking. 
hear my story and, and do for me, feel bad for me. No, what is his purpose? I got to keep going. I got to keep moving forward. I got to see other believers strengthen. Could you imagine if we lived like that? Instead of always, poor me, poor me, poor me. It would do some of us good just to get our eyes off of us, off of ourselves, and put them on others. The greatest way to get over, the greatest way, you want a secret to wisdom and maturity? Serve others. Do for others. Stop expecting things to be done for you. If that is your mindset, you always will stay in bondage. But when you start doing for others, when your purpose in life is to serve others, to love others, to see others grow, you won't help but grow. You won't help but grow. Where they begin to strengthen believers, they encourage them to continue in the faith reminding them, oh God, listen to this, that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisania. They preached the word in Perga, then went down to Attilia. Finally, they returned to a ship by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together, and they reported everything God had done through them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. They were sent out, They did what God had called them to do. Now they're back and they're testifying of the goodness of God. How Gentiles, these people who were far from God, have now come to God. How churches, communities have been built. Elders have been established to oversee the churches to ensure that the churches are growing and maturing as they should. And this is what's been going on, you all, and continues in our day and will continue up until the day of Christ. That the community of believers would be about our Father's business, that we would be sending people out, that we would be rejoicing and hearing the testimonies of what God is doing, and God ultimately would get all the glory. Praise God. Go to Psalm 140, coming to an end. Psalm 140. Oh, the book of Psalms gives us hope. Again, I've always encouraged you because they encourage us to look up. These psalmists were transparent. You see the good, the bad, the anxious, the downtrodden, the sin. You see the, you see the favor of God. You see everything in the book of Psalms. These psalmists, again, they write so transparent. They're so transparent and they point us back up to God because they knew that that's where their hope comes from from God. And so we pick up in Psalm 140. This is the psalm of King David who endured a lot of hardship, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. He endured sinning. He endured the understanding that I'm a sinner and he needed to repent. Like King David endured. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. O Lord, he writes, Rescue me from evil people, 
Protect me from those who are violent, those who plot evil in their hearts and stir up trouble all day long. Their tongues sting like a snake. The venom of a viper drips from their lips. O Lord, keep me out of the hands of the wicked. Protect me from those who are violent, for they are plotting against me. The proud have set a trap to catch me. They have stretched out a net. They have placed traps all along the way. Did you hear everything he just laid out there? This is his reality that he's living in. And then look how he transitions. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Listen, O Lord, to my cries for mercy. O sovereign Lord, the strong one who rescued me, you protected me on the day of battle. Lord, do not let evil people have their way. Do not let their evil schemes succeed or they will become proud. Let my enemies be destroyed by the way, by every evil they have planned for me. Let burning coals fall down on their heads. Let them be thrown into fire or into a watery pits from which they can't escape. Don't let liars prosper here in our land. Cause great distress, disasters to fall on the violent. But I know the Lord will help those who obey. I'm sorry. But I know the Lord will help those they persecute. He will give justice to the poor. Surely righteous people are praising your name. The godly will live in your presence. Like everything from beginning to end, you all. The counsel, the whole counsel of the word of God. Oh, I pray that you have a hunger for it. Go to Proverbs 17. One nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 17. Verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. How's your spirit today, you all? If you're wounded, if you're broken, if you're going through a hardship in life, then I would encourage you to find strength in the Lord. To be thankful. To look up. To know that there is joy in Christ, hope in Christ, peace in Christ. Look what it said there. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Guard your heart, you all. If life is beating you down, you feel downtrodden, get up and say, Oh God, I need your strength. God, I want to be cheerful in the midst of my struggles. God, I want to be cheerful in the midst of this chaos. But God, in order to be cheerful, I need to see you. Because you are the source of my joy and my strength. There's a way in which we are called to live, you all. And it's to honor God. Amen. So let us worship him, and then I'll close us in prayer.